What's going on? This is 89 The Brainchild, and you are listening to Cabbages, a hip-hop podcast. I'm thrilled to introduce our... Jeff, what the fuck? Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> 420 baby <laughs> it's 420 it's a holiday unprofessional man trying to introduce <laughs> the show jesus christ nailed right. it. i mean i nailed it uh, <sighs> pardon me hello and welcome to the cabbages hip-hop podcast i'm your host gary suarez i'm a music journalist and critic and i write a twice weekly hip-hop newsletter called cabbages which you can subscribe to for free at cabbageshiphop.com Joining as always is my very rude co-host, music industry insider Jeffrey Lachlan. Hello. And we couldn't let 420 go by uncelebrated, so we're taking a smoke break from this season's bad movie battle to bring you a bonus episode. And today, we'll be talking about UHF, the 1989 Weird Al Yankovic comedy that Roger Ebert himself called, quote, a depressing slog through recycled comic formulas. And I'm thrilled to introduce our guest for today's show. Joining us now is... 89 The Brainchild. You may have heard the New Jersey rapper featured on Horror's Turf Talk Volume 1 or on his own projects such as Not Who I Thought I Was, The Last of My Rage, Patterns, and Mini Tape 5, which you can find on Bandcamp. You can catch him every other Saturday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern, hosting Strangers Live alongside friend of the pod Fatboy Sharif on NewtownRadio.com. Hello and welcome to the show. Oh man, thank you for having me and I Definitely appreciate that whole rundown. It makes me feel like I'm doing something. You and are doing things. You are doing yeah, you're doing a podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but sometimes, like yo, like I, if you tell you tell you like your family that you're doing certain things, like yeah, yeah. But then when they hear other people talk about what you're doing, like, like you could say, oh yeah, I'm doing this with my life. Your parents are like, oh, that's interesting, and I really have an idea. But then when your aunt or your uncle like tell your parents about what you're doing and they're impressed, that's kind of the feel. I'm I'm waiting for that to happen in my life. It's still <laughs> still not happening yet. Yeah, no one's asking you to be on anybody's show, that's for sure. Oh, first of all, we uh we are both Newtown folk. That's true. That's true. I have a Newtown show as well. Oh yeah. Really? Pathways on Mondays. All right. It's a uh, it's a uh, a peaceful jazz ambient neoclassical show. I love it. What time are you on? Five to seven on Mondays. It's like alternating Mondays. Shit, I might stop too if I'm off work. Hell yeah. Please do. I would love that. We can make it happen. I just can't believe it's taken this long for Jeff to finally plug his show on this show. <laughs> like, you've been doing this I show never for never advertise anything you never, about my life on the show. <laughs> I have to pull teeth to get you to talk about shit. That's why no one wants you on things. No one thinks you do anything other than this fucking show. And it's awesome that way. Nobody expects anything. There's like, whoa, Jeff showed up. Of course I did. I work here. You're just You're proud. So humble. so humble. You're so proud of his low expectations. Yes. More low expectations in the world, please. Well, I came into UHF with some fairly low expectations. I did too. I'll just point that yeah. up right from the back. 89, had you seen this movie at all? Uh, I, or were you aware of it before we assigned this to you? 
I was aware of the film. I never like quite knew the name, but I was a Weird Al fan. I remember watching his uh, Behind the Music on VH1, mm. and I watched like his live. Like, like he would do concerts, you know, like like uh, MTV VH1. They would air like full blown concerts for artists. So I remember like I watched him do live shows. So I was like aware of his backstory and his history and like the way he kind of broke in, but I had never seen the film. I just, I just seen like clips of it when they talked about it in passing. Because everything he did musically, like, kind of holds way more, way more status than it what does. this film is. The album for this, I feel like, did better than the movie. The movie did, and not. it wasn't close. Like, people were way more into Dare to Be Stupid on a like, you know, an audio level than they were to see it in the film. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, to be stupid, like to this day, like, uh, like you'll see clips, uh, like the uh, Devo. Like when they're when they're talking about like like the record, when they're talking about like Weird Al, when you and they're just talking about the impact of that record, and people circulate that shit to this day. The, the Mark Mothersbaugh was like so happy and so angry at the same time. Yes, it was amazing. Yes, I so love like, that interview. I'm a huge Devo guy too, and I'm actually wearing a Devo T-shirt right now. I, and just to be revisited, like the fact that it's yes. revisited this year, they revisit that clip, and yeah. I haven't heard about UHF the movie since i watched the behind the music like when i was a child so like this is the first time anyone's mentioned uhf to me since then so that goes to show like how much that came and went in comparison yeah. to his music you can tell it's a guilty pleasure because when you bring it up and you like kind of act positively toward it a bunch of people will sort of come out of the woodwork and be like i love that movie but like if you don't mention it everyone will stay silent on that matter and be like oh i've never seen uhf i don't want to talk about it <laughs> i mean i definitely saw it when i was a kid like i was a huge weird al fan mm-hmm. like we're talking about the late 80s by that point i had so many weird al cassettes there's all cassettes uh so i had dare to be stupid i had even worse you know those were tapes that i i played almost non-stop to the surely to the annoyance of my parents um as an adult, my, my tolerance for musical comedy is like brutally low. Like I can't actually listen to it because it fucking drives me insane. But like, I was such a huge fan. And then when UHF came out, I definitely got the soundtrack before I saw the movie. I don't think I got to see the movie in the theaters because I don't think my parents were willing to take me to it. I mm. think they were like, you've got enough Weird Al in you. We'd like you to be a normal child now. That didn't work out. No, it didn't work out at all. It only made it work. Sorry, you just found UHF later and it still had the same effect. (laughs) I still got to see it. I still got to see it. And that was like, as I watched this movie, I realized how much of that cassette tape, again, on cassette, uh, Mm -hmm. had stuck with me. When he daydreams the dire straits, money for nothing, Beverly Hillbillies. uh, Yes, I do remember that one. Which is which was you know basically the actual music video in full like they aired that music video on MTV. Yes, that the whole the whole three D effect. Yeah, that was a song I sat there on the couch watching it last week, and I just started singing all the lyrics. But he has that way though. I mean, like just because it's parody, mm. uh, and I, I call it parody, not satire. I feel like that's important to note for the film as well. Sure. Yeah. This isn't biting, sarcastic criticism of what they're doing. They're doing this because, you know, the movies and the, and the sounds that they're emulating, they like a lot. Uh, and making fun of something, I mean, you know, flattery, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, but, it doesn't feel like poking holes in, right. in what the original piece is. Right. And most of it is coming to the expense at the expense of, of the main character, George. But he has that quality to him where like whatever he does, and this goes throughout his whole career, is super memorable. Even if he's a bit player in it, you know, like, oh yeah, Weird Al was in that. Well, he also became, you know, sort of ubiquitous over time. Right. And became this like such as pop culture figure that he could, you know, touch all these different genres, including polka um, yeah. in his yeah. work and like be viewed as someone worth paying attention to. And like, you know, I've listened to interviews with but him. But also has had a wild film and TV career. Yeah. And, you know, like a, a lot of, because he's also was a product of that MTV generation. Like totally. he, he gave them content. He made music videos. And interestingly enough, the director of this film, Jay Levy, mm-hmm. you know, was somebody who had directed or produced countless Weird Al music videos, basically starting right. in like 1983 and continued to work with Weird Al, at least in that capacity, well into the 2010s. So yeah, decades of work together. It felt like a together. music video, like this was shot like a music video. When a scene was over, it was over. It's smash cut next scene. felt like some of the film, it felt like it was disjointed and it turned into like vignettes or right. kind of like skits or sketches of, of some sort. And some like, it interfered a little bit with the narrative of like mm-hmm. the difficulty that comes with running a TV station. It was like, all right, here's just this bit. All right, here's this show. And we're going to move away from like whatever George's conflict is, where it's like, old girl that, that he dating kind of just, it's like, oh, you're dealing with the show and you missed the date? Fuck this. Everything is over. And now like, you, like George is just gone through it and he has to give up his mm-hmm. TV show on top. It was like, damn, man. Like, they, they, like I felt like we just skipped a whole bunch of conflict. Or a whole bunch of difficulties like, like just for the sake of kind of like just getting these sketches out exactly it was like a, a a portraiture of highs and lows and that's it yeah it's a couple of, of reasons behind that part of it is you're dealing with a music video director right making a full-length film and he's one of the writers on it alongside weird al it fits in sort of a, a weird in-between space of of genres at the time. So think about movies like the anthology comedies, like your mm. Kentucky Fried movie of kind of the 1980s, mm. those sorts the of Zuckers. films. That, those, exactly, those sort of things. But then you also had these, they were also taking things like Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, mm. the mm. movie, the actual movie. The, uh, when you had brought up the, the video for, for the Hillbilly joint, it automatically made me think of uh, there was this claymation video for Michael Jackson. I think that was part of the Moonwalker, like the the video package and shit, where it was like claymation. He was like a, a rabbit riding a motorcycle. Yes. And, it, and, oh, it, and automatically, I just thought about that video. So just to see that era, like it definitely there's a there's an aesthetic, there's a whole kind of feel of of what was deemed as like cutting edge in terms of special effects, practical effects that I felt like. I think Weird Al was definitely on the cusp of that. Mm-hmm. They, that was also used as the Speed Demon uh, video, the, the rabbit one, the claymation thing for that was yeah. in Moonwalker. And like, so there's like, I remember being a kid and obviously being a Michael Jackson fan as a kid and watching this movie. I rented this movie in 1988. So it's only like the year before this one comes out, you know? So like, I feel like they had established that you didn't necessarily need to, for a musical artist or someone who's primarily known as a musical artist, you didn't necessarily need to make a thing that was like a coherent narrative and plot so right. much as you could just kind of string together some loosely connected scenes 
And it, like it worked well for, you know, like Moonwalker made like 60 something million dollars. The movie's know? caught between a music video style shoot and then like the plot and dialogue were, you know, very airplane. When you watch a film like this and you start this film and it's an extended yeah. Indiana Jones parody, the, yeah. the tone is set. The tone is set by those openings. You see that intro and you're exactly. like, this is the movie I'm watching. Got it. Like to me, I got like space balls and yes. plus, uh, like Pee-wee's, Pee-wee's Big Adventure type shit. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, this like sort of world, this, it's a weird, is it real world? You know what I mean? Like, is this real or is this like a cartoon? And the answer is kind of both because and the way they pull it off which i think is really cool so we talked about this like during the movie we like to text a lot and i was like the first thing i said was this is a lot like the short story uh, j walter mitty the imagination of j walter mitty mm-hmm. which is a uh, a really old short story from like this new yorker writer or this uh yeah anyway sorry i'm i'm babbling but it was that and it was and it was the zuckers like airplane naked gun i made both of those references right away and then i read the wikipedia and they they were like two of our biggest things were j walter mitty and airplane by the zucker brothers Uh and i was like well there you go i know that like this is a movie directly in my wheelhouse i had a blast watching this movie i was impressed by Mm -hmm. how much of it I enjoyed. And I think, look, there's a lot of danger when we watch movies, comedies from the 80s, especially like there's going to be some cringeworthy stuff. And there's a little bit of that. In totally. For sure. You Absolutely. know, particularly this stuff with uh, Getty Wat- Watanabe um, yeah. as, as Cooney, you know, but again, you know, this is only a few years after, you know, what him, him playing Long Duck Dong, who's like one of the right. most, you know, talked about characters in terms of the problem with, you know, Asian rep- representation in in Hollywood and yeah. like it's just it's just something where you have to kind of let it wash over you while acknowledging the thing and this is a movie that made sure. because of its absurdist approach of how it was this fantastical idea of what it was supposed to be and mind you I was really fucking high when we watched this <laughs> like really fucking high I yeah, found myself just enjoying the the cheap laughs and some of the things I thought were yes. really clever like, you know, they, they live underneath a karate studio. Mm-hmm. And when he's like, what time is it? A hand comes through the wall from the karate studio <laughs> with a wristwatch. <laughs> and he looks at this wristwatch and he goes, 730. <laughs> so like, it's we're now cheap- like, I'm sorry, uh, George, George never really grasps what time it is in this thing. There's like three different scenes where he's like, oh my God, what time is it? <laughs> like, you know, 9.30, you miss dinner with your with the love of your life and she's going to leave you. A lot of this movie is about just not having time for a relationship. Right. It really is. It's it's weird because if it wasn't Weird Al Yankovic, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, uh, not you, Jeff. No, you never want my thoughts. Not particularly, no. Um, is that a lot of what we accept in this film uh, has to do with the fact that it is Weird Al. Right. And if it wasn't him, we would immediately had branded this as a slacker comedy, which was far more the norm of the kind of 80s and 90s and into the 2000s sort of comedies. And we don't ever necessarily see him as a slacker. He self-describes as a daydreamer, 
but we don't necessarily see him as a slacker character because I think because of our relationship with him as fans of Weird Al at some point in our youth, that we sort of are rooting from him from the start in a very genuine way. Like there's certain times where the actor kind of like takes, like you see that you see the actor itself more than the character. Like you see Weird Al in this fucking film. And so when you see Weird Al, like, and you, you have an understanding of how his mind works based on like his, his musical output and like his visuals, uh, you see that, oh, be, beyond of whatever he doesn't want to do physically, whether he didn't want to do like the, the fucking burger job and shit. Mm-hmm. Right. Daydreaming. It's like, all right, we we know like even outside of this film, he probably went through that shit and he beat that shit. Like just like, so we don't, we never really see it as too much of a of a hurdle. Like, cause we already know like the like who, who Weird Al is as a human being. So like, knowing that this is his films, like, all right, yo, he just gonna fucking treat, like just think his way out of doing any type of real problem solving. Like he's gonna just come with some whimsical idea. Like, like nothing is- It tracks so well with him as just like a general figure too. It's hard to be like, this is George when it's most definitely Weird Al. Yeah, this isn't fucking like Steve Gutenberg and Police yeah. Academy. No, I mean, the difference is like, because he was already by this point, such a omnipresent figure in pop culture, right? Multiple hit records and was just known as the king of these parodies. When he shows up on screen for the first time, it's not the same as, say, Steve Gutenberg's breakout role in, you know, in Police Academy. It's not like when you watch the first few Adam Sandler movies, like your Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, where you're like... I mean, you knew him from SNL, yeah. and he played characters on SNL, but like, he wasn't like you knew him as Adam Sandler. That's sort of the thing. It's like right. Weird Al was just Weird Al, not a character. Even when it came to Adam Sandler, like the way he was depicted in in these in the sketches on SNL, he was either just playing a, a very much younger than his actual age character, yeah. or he was like very like just a disjointed kind of off kilter. Even in the like way that Chris Farley was kind of depicted, where a lot of his roles, like he was doing the like the Belushi shit, where he's like just ripping his clothes. A lot of physical right, stuff, right? So like, it's it's all based on like how these people are, are are at the time were presented for us to like see. All right, how can they fit in these roles, or what roles are good for them? Yeah, and we'd spent so long with Weird Al as a pop cultural figure by that point that like I know the character's name is George, and I say George plenty of times, and I go, oh yeah, that's right. That's George, not Weird Al. That happened to me more often than not. Yeah. Like the cast for this movie was dead on what they needed to be. And it's weird. Like, let me throw some names at you that should have been in this film. That like auditioned for this film and didn't get in. Wait, people auditioned for this film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So homies. Jennifer Tilly. Wow. For Ellen what part? Jenner. For what part? Wait, wait. For his girlfriend? For his girlfriend. These are the girlfriends. Terry? Girlfriend. Jesus. First of all. Of for Terry. Jennifer Tilly, uh, Ellen DeGeneres. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, those were just the two for those. The producers. For the same right, way. Wait. For, wait yeah, stop. And Ellen would go for the same role? Yeah. And they gave the <laughs> job, and they gave the role to Victoria Jackson. Victoria Jackson. And the reason was that she was softer demeanored. So it would be more whimsical that this thing was supposed to be like a weird fever dream the whole time. I would have preferred Jennifer Tilly just because I would have liked a little bit more edge. 
Sure, like, me too. Like just because like, his girlfriend really, I feel like we should have got more of her. And and the same the same with his his aunt. I feel like we should have got more of both of those ladies in the in the film. But that's just me. Why was Victoria Jackson in this movie? She'd been on yeah. SNL for a few years at that point. She came on, I think, in like 86. And she yeah. had been in movies. Like she had played like roles in notable comedies like Baby Boom. And then she had, in 1988, she had co-starred in Casual Sex. She had like an actual real role in that movie. And then she does this film where like, there's nothing comedic that's given to her character. She has no jokes at all. She's just there to be a side. So you would think that a more serious, like uh, someone who's not coming from an SNL background would be a better choice. I think somebody who, I mean, I feel like they, if there were, I don't know what kind of like improv was allowed in a film like this, because I feel like we're not dealing with sketch or improv people. We're dealing with writers, people who write parody stuff. So it's like, I don't think there was a lot of room for her to do what she would have done well at that point. Not that she was Mm. like particularly known for her character work on SNL. She didn't have like, she doesn't have church lady or she doesn't have Pat or she doesn't have, you know, Dieter from Sprockets. Like she was kind of a good ensemble player. But they don't give her anything here. So it drove right. me nuts to see her at like kind of the peak of her powers comedically. Right. Not and also being somebody who had a Hollywood movie presence, get nothing out of this. Did she bounce back from this film? Like, like what came after this film for, for Victoria Jackson? Well, fortunately, she still had a couple more years on SNL, but like after this was not a good series. She did I don't she, think this she, bombed her though. No, well, I think this was I think she treated this like a get. Because it wasn't it wasn't easy for SNL to cross over into movies at that point. But she also she didn't do an SNL movie like that. Like so she when she left the show, she got like a sitcom that they didn't end up airing. And like she never found her footing. Like you think about like Ellen Cleghorn never found like a good Mm -hmm. a good footing post SNL. People like that, like Piscopo and others who like tried to be movie stars. Others just kind of found other ways. And it's just like Victoria Jackson never had that. And this is, to be perfectly honest, this was like the last movie of note that she did. And she still did plenty of movies, don't get me wrong. And she still works to this day. I mean, she's a complete MAGA nut. Um, But like she had like, I mean, the most notable thing that she did really after this, to be perfectly honest, is she was on a short-lived MTV show or Comedy Central show, sorry, called Strip Mall opposite Julie Brown in like 2000. Oh, Julie Brown. Boy, that sounds right up my alley. And I've never heard of it. I didn't know it existed until (laughs) I started doing research for this episode. And I said, we're pumped. I would watch that. I don't think that, but I don't think it's even on any of the, like the apps you can watch it on. I don't think it's like a thing you can even grab anymore. You know, these aren't even the craziest of the names that I'm going to name. Please go ahead. Uh, No, I'm just saying like the, it's really an interesting list. Uh, I like that Fran Drescher batted up. Like she, she was in for a smaller role and they liked her so much. They put her as the news anchor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's, she was so the producers tried to get, sorry, go ahead. I was saying she was already such a gifted uh, comedic actress. Like she'd been in, like she did Dr. Detroit. Mm -hmm. She did, this is spinal tap. And she'd even had like small roles in like Saturday night fever and American hot wax. Like she was, she worked her way up and it was, this was still before, um, this is before the natty, which is like, it was like 92. Yeah. Like she worked, she worked pretty aggressively uh, yeah. in being in these kind of movies. And like, she stands out. There's a reason why they ultimately gave her her own show. Totally. She was great. Absolutely. Uh, the producers tried to get Jerry Seinfeld for the role of George's friend, Bob Speck. What? But he turned it down. 
<laughs> this is my personal favorite. Seinfeld? Jesus. Seinfeld. I mean, I'm telling you, like this was a, this is a weird, weird f- film with a lot of weird circumstances around. It. I really, they approached Crispin Glover for Philo's role. Jesus. But Glover said that he only wanted to play a used car salesman and no other part. Uh, ooh, okay. Off. <laughs> do you mean? Do you mean to be that specific? Noted crazy person Crispin Glover did some crazy shit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not saying Crispin's full name, are you? Oh, uh, I'm not. Okay, so uh, I own a record by Crispin Glover, including the smash hit "Clowny Clown Clown," uh, <laughs> and his his artist name, like his his stage name for music, is Crispin Hellion Glover. <laughs> that is the most. I live in the Darkwood Castle RPG name. I, I ever, ever. He nailed it. His his <laughs> evil uh, witch mother and his evil wizard father. They came together and came up with that that genius evil mage name. I mean, it's he's really. I mean, honestly, if you read about Crispin, boy, it's a good idea. You should. Can we go back to Seinfeld for a sec? Sure. Cause he did, he turned it down though. So this wasn't like he showed up and they were like, no, we'll go with somebody else. It took a lot of guts for Seinfeld to turn this down. I think totally because he wasn't a guy you saw on TV or movies before that. Like Seinfeld, the show began in 89, the same year that this, uh, that this movie comes out, you know? So he made a choice not to be in this film and that's fine. And he chose it for a TV show, but like that first season of Seinfeld notoriously is a a season that, you know, almost didn't get uh, re-upped. So like it didn't become the superstar. He wasn't the superstar at that point. Like, so for him to be like, you know what, I'm not going to add on to my, you know, exciting role as a bit player on an episode of square pegs and my three episode arc on Benson, you know, in the I mean, early you 80s. know, another cast member from that very show is prominently featured in the movie. Well, yes. So you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah, totally. I'm with you on this. Yeah, I was a little I was a little wary going in when I was just like, OK, so we've got Victoria Jackson, who's known MAGA now. Yeah. And Michael Richards, who's forever, regardless of anything he ever does, is going to be known as that yeah. guy who lost his shit and revealed some full-blown racism Mr. on stage Hart. at a fucking comedy club. Yeah, that was that was etched in my mind. Right, etched in my mind. Just stick a fork in him. He's. I was like, wow, this is a. <laughs> and an apology that followed on it wasn't on uh, it was on some late night show. Time to apologize on that was mad weird. Yeah, it was. Was it Letterman? It was Letterman, yeah. He came yeah, on the late show. With it Letterman. was Letterman. I think I think Seinfeld was a guest on the show. Yes, he kind of facilitated this. They videoed him in. Awesome, awesome Farrakhan shit. I was like, all right. Mm. Michael Richards in this film again as a kid is the perfect character. In this film, he's this just like ridiculous. Like he's, he's so he's so, but he's so dumb as well. His character yeah. is so like fundamentally dumb that. Like and, chi- and childlike that it makes. But it's like innocent like, dumb. It's not like yeah, break it, stuff dumb. Like you know what I mean? It may, is, never, it, is it off? Is it off color that I say he's like a? Y'all seen Tropic Thunder? Yeah. Yes. It's like a toned down simple Jack. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, like, yeah. it's like a far more tame exactly film. Right. And that's exactly what like what Ben Stiller was like parodying with that role was right. the yeah. kind of the comedian playing or the actor playing the mentally challenged person if we're going to be polite about it and yeah. like there's no point where we go like michael richards's character stanley smanowski is anyway you know meant to be anything other than a kind of a one-dimensional joke there's no explanation of why he is the way he is that he yeah. is a, loves being a janitor and that also adds to the fact where you go like well is this movie in exist in the real world or is this a complete fantasy film right um, but like Watching this movie as an adult, all I can think about, and tell me why I haven't revisited the Seinfeld episodes that I watched when I was you know, younger and watched in the right. 90s, is that like I see him now and all I can see is the guy who did that. The and meltdown. I can't yeah. see anything other than the meltdown. It's tough. Yeah. I'm with you. This role is so good too. I mean, like the the weird kids programming that he was doing in the show. Ooh. was excellent what was your favorite Goofy what, what was your funny. favorite show of all the shows oh of all the shows i really enjoyed <laughs> what was it? it was town chat <laughs> where he just interviews random people from the town <laughs> town chat was was cool like I just because he had like just the assortment of just weird evil white people where you yes. had like, like the clansman then you had like just the, the mean mugging little girl who was probably just causing trouble at home and then you had the, I'm guessing the the street worker. It was, that was cool. I like the the pet dude. I thought we were gonna get some type of the oh, pet the dude was gonna get shut down. Oh I was my hoping, god! Like I thought we were gonna get some real follow up, but they just kept giving him animals. I'm not really not. <laughs> like, like, as the as the channel progresses, hey, I'm sure like they need more seasons or whatever. But I thought he was gonna get shut down by like somewhere at the in the movie. Raul's Wild Kingdom. Yeah, is that's the jam. My favorite of the parodies, Spatula Land or whatever. Spatula, Spatula City. City. Spatula, Spatula City is wonderful, is wonderful too. But wonderful, you're right. But yeah, I love Spatula City. We saw spatulas, and that's all. I think that's hysterical. <laughs> that's, all. that's hysterical. <laughs> that's the slogan. We sell spatulas, and that's all. But Raul's <laughs> Wild Kingdom is something that I forgot about as a kid. And it's like, I will now, it's now burned in my brain. You know, Trinidad Silva, who was a, a terrific actor who, who died far too young. He died uh, basically before this movie came out, unfortunately, oh. in 1988. Yeah. But he uh, he had been in like more serious roles. He'd also been in a lot of comedic things. Uh, he'd been in movie Colors. But like he died during the production of the film, which is why they did not get to utilize him as much. But he steals the movie for a period of time when he's like, today, we're going to teach poodles how to fly. Oh, my God. That scene, and just like when they shoot down and you the outside of that of the building and you see the pile of basically what looks like animal bodies. Whenever you bring in like serious actors into a non-serious place, you need to have people that go all in on the concept. Yes. That fully sell out to this like ridiculous concept and then everybody else can like base themselves off of this like feeling this vibe he absolutely understood what this movie needed to be and he threw poodles out of a window window. repeatedly (laughs) there's a pile of dead dogs i i enjoy those shots where like you, you get like the the like 
you're looking upward toward the window and you see him like just chuck his arms out the window. You see the animal flying. Like, I feel like that type of comedy, like that was, like I don't see that much anymore. Like that type of physical slaps, like, yeah, yo, we're just launching you. We're yeah. just chucking this item. I, yeah, it's a doll. And, and and you may be, you could tell it's a fucking doll. We don't give a damn. Like the f- you're going to yeah. get the kick out of this. The film was dedicated to this dude, to Trinidad yeah, well, he because I mean, his death was a tragic the, death. He was like he was hit by like a drunk absolutely. driver and killed. Like it's a horrible and situation. He, they they refused to use body doubles and just like cut him from the telethon scenes because he would have had to have been in shots and he died. Yeah, and so they refused to use body doubles and just like dropped it because they just couldn't deal with the fact that he wasn't there. Yeah, he was that like centrical with with that little bit of a role. He was that centered in the like making of the film i mean you have to give him credit like i mean like it's one of those really great jokes that got executed that like other actors who wouldn't necessarily be able to pull off i don't need no stinking badgers is a line that's been in my head for like three decades now because of something he said in that one scene where it's like he gets the she gets the shipment and they're like you've got like two aardvarks and a flamingo and some porcupines uh armadillos and badgers and like badgers i don't need no stinky badgers, <laughs> badgers. like it's fucking brilliant and that's just, so weird al yankovic like uh, that you can almost hear him delivering the line yeah it's when, just like it's that it's like and the thing is it's like with that it, especially because we watched recently for the for the pod we watched hot to trot and that was a very painful watch in a lot of ways and <laughs> the, a lot of it had to do with the fact that like it really played up the racial stereotypes in in ways that were quite uncomfortable to watch in retrospect. Right. I have to give it credit. While this movie is less kind to uh, to Asians uh, in terms of its jokes, it's still most of its humor is meant in good nature and, and, and delivered with a good nature, even if it is in some ways you know wrong for for reasons of bias or stereotyping. Like Raul's character is not actually like treated as poorly as say the Latino actors are and characters are in like a movie like Hot to Trot, which came out like the year before. So I I give it credit for that is like, this is a joke. The joke with him is not that he is Latino and we have to make fun of some aspects for being Latino. The joke is it's like, here is a wild animal show that we're going to parody. And the host is going to be the guy who keeps all these animals in his apartment. That's the joke. And, you know, to the credit of this is just Weird Al's thing is he's not into like his thing is everybody can be stupid and ridiculous. And all of the characters in this are stupid and ridiculous. Yeah. My my favorite part of the film isn't my favorite parody in the film. My favorite part in the film is when uh, the, the actor credited as the hobo walks up and asks for change gets a dollar and then hands him a dollar and walks away. And he's all pumped out that he's gotten change for a dollar. And then, and nobody even pays attention. They just like kind of keep walking afterwards. We're like, well, we got things to do. It's just incredible. I loved it so much. And just to, just to add to the list of insane names that are linked to this weird movie. (laughs) There's no way to say it, but to say it, Ginger Baker of the rock band cream volunteered to audition for the role of the hobo <laughs> but yankovic said no yankovic true said no 
because they found a better fitting actor. It's like there should only be one rock star in this sh- in this film, and it's me. <laughs> I mean, the stones on this guy, this clown, <laughs> <laughs> to just be like, no, we don't need extra attention for the film. This guy's just a great hobo. Wait, you don't mean Bobo the clown, do you? I don't. No. That's another scene I loved. I love the Bob yes. and the Clown scene. Just like yes. Now, now meet Mister Frying Pan. Just the random violence of that scene. Like he really and, gets and up his with a face pan. after he gets hit with a frying pan. He gets up and he's like, "Am I? What am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to keep it together? What am I doing? I want to kill this man. It's really great. What a scene. What a scene. The uh, Philo toward the end where he just went off to his planet. Because I, yes. I, I felt like the clues were there early on where like this guy just felt very like extraterrestrial. And just to get that payoff at the end, that even though no one else in like none of the other characters acknowledge it, it's just something in the background. He just vanishes back to his planet. That was hilarious. That's amazing. I love to. And the fact that like they just had their backs turned while he just gets, you know, zoomed up into space is so fucking great. You know, but I think taking out of the context of just my the favorite shows and whatnot, my favorite uh, appearance in the film is undoubtedly Emo Phillips, who does the woodworking mm. uh, exercise. They were like really good friends. Yeah, I mean, Emo and Phillips was, like wrote a part into the movie for Phillips, and like Emo Phillips was just his. I mean, in that time period, I also was familiar with Emo Phillips because this was somebody right. who you would see on like like a kind of like a stand up special on HBO half right. hour or one of those things, or you would see him. I mean, I wouldn't see him. I wasn't able to stay up you know late enough to watch him make an appearance on late night television, but you might catch like a, a, a clip or a segment on like a comedy show, and. The whole the whole bit between the two of them is just brilliant because you can tell they're friends. You can tell that these are right. people who are two comedians who actually like know and like each other a lot. And deal in absurdity, like real absurd humor. Yeah. Our villains in this film, like just the the Channel Eight guys, they were Channel Eight, oh, right? Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the one son who had like a real clinginess, like the the with the, the mommy issues, but for dad, yeah, that 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 dude kind of got me. I I enjoyed him, but yeah. I felt like I, I same same the same way when I, I felt like about the. George and his girlfriend's dynamic, I felt like I wanted more unfolding with like our villain and his relationship with his kids. Right. Like I felt like they were like just aside from like the the clingy one, the other two were just so interchangeable. Like I don't recall yes. any significant. No, no. Nothing. I, I also love the the mobster toughs that they use in the film too. The sort of yes. like, it's like not only are they just like a ruthless media empire, again, they're a local affiliate of of a network like they're not they're not actually shit they're just like in this small town they are minor there are minor gods you know like in reality they are fucking nothing (laughs) in what this is like rj fletcher and and, you know his son richard are not anything if you like drive you know 30 miles outside of the city limits um 
but like okay. but like the mobster toughs are just amazing because like they're you wonder what they're doing like why are they even here like it was so crazy to me to see like david Preval in it like david Preval, who's like the lead mobster was like one of the stars of mean streets like he's like a real deal actor who played gangsters as small budget as this was and as ridiculous as it is i think that a lot of people were seeing this as an opportunity to get into this sort of airplaney world which is taking off at this point yeah we're like rude humor and weird video game or like uh that video game but shooting like a music video and all this stuff is like kind of slowly coming into vogue because the mtv generation is getting older like just uh the whole like topical humor when it comes to like play on pop culture i think this yeah. is kind of it's for a lot of people it's on it's their audition for saturday night live 100 this is like yo i can do other things if you get you land a role in this and you give like 10 percent, and it looks like a million because half of these people you know a lot of them aren't actors the gankovic was an actor but not a leading man and they even no, said that not. when they were making it they were like i'm not a leading man so i didn't really have to like do a lot of stuff we we hired other actors around us to do like the big characters i was just kind of pushing the plot you could at that time become a standout person for right. a role in in a film like this you know like we talked about how to try it a moment ago like bobcat goldthwaite had done like three police academy films before they were like hey maybe we should give this guy his own movie right you could stand out as a character and and shine and i mean like this wasn't like michael richards is just to pull somebody out it wasn't like this was the first thing he'd ever done you know no it was written for him in mind because they thought that he he would be incredible at like he needed more work yeah like he was a he was somebody who you you could see in things you know like i mean obviously like the best known thing is like and i really only became to know this because of when they did the uh the andy kaufman movie uh man of the moon Mm -hmm. is that he had been a sketch uh comic on a show that are called fridays which had been to be sort of like a snl clone of meltdowns yes exactly yeah which again i've read now like the meltdown of that was like that's all staged and like this is all and that was brilliant you know, but like he didn't do a ton of stuff. Like it took really until Seinfeld for take to, for him to really take off. I mean, I feel like this movie got him looks. Yeah, he was for sure. really good in this. Oh yeah, man, sure he could have been fucking earnest. Totally, he could have been, been earnest at that. Yeah. Oh man, that's what we should do next. Four twenty. <laughs> we should watch oh. Ernest goes to camp. Okay, we we need to talk about that. What? There, there's some. Oh my God! Are you gonna bring up some redneck shit? No, 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 no. They're like it, you know. Much like all sophomoric movies, there are some red flags. Oh, in the okay. Ernest catalog that might really, yeah, that might throw you a little further than you think you're For gonna be. Ernest throwing. P. Worrell. I mean, listen, I don't want to like do this to everyone right now, but like Ernest goes to Africa. Whoa. Don't watch Ernest goes to Africa. That that would. Don't watch that film. No, I'm a little you wary. Will be very bummed. I am definitely <laughs> so worried. That exists that. in the canon. I don't remember Ernest Goes to Camp enough to say that something happens, but we just need to be like eyes peeled on that. <laughs>
It's the Cabbages Podcast Network.